What we do here is go back, 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 back. back. And welcome into episode 50 uno of the Two and a Half Marks podcast. Let's see if I remember this intro. My name is David Statman, and as always, I'm joined by my good friends Angelo Inglisa and Jake Long as we rewatch, relive, and remember a different wrestling pay-per-view every single week. Ladies and gentlemen, the boys are back in town. It is episode one of season two. Of the two and a half marks podcast, we've been off for what, like a month and a half ish, about yeah. six weeks, something like that. We took a break, you know, had some different real life stuff going on in our lives. Angelo is about to no longer live in New Jersey, while I now live in New Jersey. <laughs> classic all, bait and switch. The all classic bait and switch. Uh, we all literally saw each other in real life like two weeks ago, which was yeah. Um, and yeah. Uh, we now live in the Shingo Takagi era. Uh, so guns up, boys. We're, we're Shingoing tonight. And we are back in action, giving you the wrestling podcast uh, just content that you have been salivating for over the previous six weeks that we've been gone. And I hit the randomizer. I, I went and I did it the way that we do it. And I really could not have landed on a better way to start out Season two of the Two and a Half Marks podcast, the WCW Bash at the Beach, the one where Vince Russo got sued. One of the most ridiculous shows I've ever watched in my life. It's almost three hours of pure slop. I love it. It's the good shit. I want to inject it into my bloodstream. <laughs> I'm psyched to talk about it. What's going on, boys? Hey, David, we I talked about this in the production. Keep... Hey, <laughs> you know how this goes. I just think it's funny you keep saying season two. But we're going to treat this just like WWE, and even though it's a new season, we're staying the same, boys. Nothing's changing, David. We did talk in the production meeting, though. We said that we would stop doing the Spanish number for the intro. You have ruined this all. It is a fail. I'm kidding, by the way. No. Uh, I'm, again, very excited. I'm going rogue. I'm not listening to Commissioner <laughs> I'm, Com- Commissioner Angelo the Cat and Gleesa tonight. <laughs> oh, my God. That was something. He's to going off the, the script. That was something to start off uh, Bash at the Beach. But anyway, I no. am exercising my creative control tonight, boys. This was, again, I think we could have had a better one to come back to. This is a very iconic pay-per-view with a very iconic moment. It's also full of a lot of garbage that we will rightfully slam. But then you get some really, you know, good moments towards the end there. So I'm excited to be back. I've missed this podcast. I was amped up today. I'm like, I can't wait for 530 to come around because that means I'm done work. And it means I get to start planning for another podcast. And here we are. Yes. Oh, way to make, way to make it sentimental. Um, that's all going to get completely ruined whenever we have to – our second match is a freaking Norman Smiley match. Hey, so, Big hey, Vito hey, looks hey, like hey, money. Hey, 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 Norman Smiley could work, number one. Number two, he was wearing a sweet Big Wiggle 69 hockey jersey <laughs> that I really want to get my hands on somehow. And number three, Ralphus, brother. We're talking Ralphus tonight. We got a whole oh, – we got Jesus. to see Ralphus's ass, basically. I need to update the spreadsheet, but Ralphus is now more appearance than a lot of significant guys, <laughs> and uh, I need to have that list. Yes, I, please, please, like, go fully into the Excel spreadsheet after this podcast. I feel like Ralphus has been on more than like Roman. 
I think he has, honestly. I think we may genuinely have had more Ralphus appearances than Roman Reigns. <laughs> Give me five seconds. Which, when you're talking about, like, guys who were, like, important and iconic and really meaningful to the business of wrestling, yeah, I would probably put Ralphus ahead of Roman Reigns. Yeah, is that, I don't know. That's not a slam on Roman. That's just me talking about Ralphus. <laughs> you, guys see the shirt? you guys see the shirt that Ralphus was wearing? Where it was like basically a belly shirt, like it only covered like it, it didn't cover his belly at all. And then like on the back, it said, uh, like, what did it say? Um, it said, like, don't don't try this. Or it said, just say no to. And then it had an arrow pointing down at his butt crack. It's like, just say no to crack. Get it, boys? He's talking Wait, about what his was ass. That? No, he, so, so Ralph is on the back of his shirt. Yeah, it said, just say no to. And then it pointed an arrow. Pointed I did not. Oh God! How did I miss that one? Yeah, you know we're talking about uh, his ass. So we're gonna, we're gonna get really deep into Ralph's ass today, real quick, in, in multiple senses. Roman Reigns has appeared on the podcast a grand total of one more time than Ralphus. Ralphus oh, is one man. appearance away from tying Roman Reigns. Damn, the head of the table, head of the table, got him again. <laughs> But okay, it sounds like, listen, we've been waiting like six weeks to remember some guys. I'm just chopping at the freaking bit, man. You guys want to remember some guys? Let's get to the guys. Yes, let's go. Let's do it. Okay, it is July 9th, 2000. We are at the Ocean Center in Daytona Beach, Florida. The same building where a few years before, Hulk Hogan turned heel and dropped the leg on Macho Man and formed the NWO got 6,752 people in the stands and we immediately get smashed over the head with the greatest cold open in the history of wrestling pay-per-views the cold open is a limo coming up to the ocean center and it opens up to reveal the commissioner of wcw ernest the cat miller um and he is, you know, he's making all these calls. He's saying, you know, about the about the the the, uh, the show that's coming up. He says that MIA, the Misfits in Action, they are banned from ringside tonight for uh, for their match, which is leading off. And then suddenly, uh, this sort of like really stereotypical, like like kind of Japanese music starts playing, and he is attacked by ninjas. Uh, <laughs> I mean, this is literally what happens. He is attacked by ninjas. Um, they are the the Young Dragons, which was a, a faction in uh, like 2000 WCW. It was uh, Kaz Hayashi, a big Kaz Hayashi guy, uh, the man who would eventually become uh, Jimmy Wang Yang, and the third Young Dragon was actually Jamie Noble. Fun fact. <laughs> It was, <laughs> I can't tell. Yeah. I can't tell if that's a work or not. No, it sounds like you're making that up. No, I'm not making that up. It was Kaz Hayashi, Jimmy <laughs> Wang Yang, and Jamie Noble now, were the three ninjas. Now that I know who the ninjas are, it's a thousand times better. But unfortunately, a thousand times zero is still zero. Yes, it, those were they were they, they were fucking ninjas. So they show the only up. Nothing better would have been like Adam Pierce, but yeah. No, but they they are like they're they're ninjas. That's their gimmick. They show up and they attack Ernest the Cat Miller, <laughs> and then uh, 
like they attack him and then he kicks them all in the balls and then it cuts away and that's the opening of the pay-per-view. I'm just excited that we live in 2021 where the ninja gimmick is just, you know, extinct because it is a little bit maybe racially insensitive and, you know, attack, it's just not yeah, – so, it's not it's not just something that – wait, Akira Tozawa just showed up dressed as a ninja. I was going to say, I thought you were being serious and I was like, that was the whole thing like Akira Tozawa's got ninjas. Literally, like he's still year. doing that gimmick. He's still doing it, like, now. Is he really? I don't watch WWE enough to know. Yeah, he literally still does the gimmick. On 205 Man, Live. He's a, he's a t- I think he's appeared on Raw as the ninja guy within the past, like, month. One of the so. default jobbers will always show up, and, like, he's still in the ninja stuff. Yeah. So, uh, okay. So, we, we've got ninjas tonight. And the thing is... This is not the only time we will see the ninjas and Ernest the Cat Miller face off. Uh, so we jump right into this paper. That's literally the cold open of the pay-per-view is here's Ernest the Cat Miller rolling out of his limo and he's attacked by ninjas. Uh, but yeah, Young Dragons, actually, when you look at the guys in that uh, that faction, three good workers. Big Kaz Hayashi guy. I always have been. So... Uh, we've got Tony Schiavone, Scott Hudson, and Mark Madden, the death of WCW trio on commentary tonight. And we are leading off with a cruiserweight title match. We have uh, the champion, um, Juventud Guerrera, a big-time Two and a Half Marks podcast favorite. We all love him. He comes big out with, with the uh, filthy animals. Conan comes out. It's, it's him, Conan. Rey Mysterio's there. You've got Disco Inferno uh, wearing a Kobe Bryant jersey, acting like a complete freaking dork. And Conan comes out. He's got his arm in a huge cast. He does his shtick on the mic. Conan's cool. Everyone loves him. He is, uh, Hoobie is defending his title against Lieutenant Loco of the Misfits in Action, also known as Chavo Guerrero, a classic guy everyone loves. Uh, MIA are supposed to be banned from ringside by decree of Commissioner Katz. Uh, no one told them they still come out, but the referees eventually usher everybody away from ringside. And we got Chavo and Juventud Guerrero, two great, uh, you know, two great Mexican workers, um, you know, expect a, a pretty solid match and they go straight into it. Um, uh, you know, two, again, two young athletic guys from a Lucha background. So you get some height, some kind of fast paced passages of the match. And these guys are both, again, very good workers. Um, it gets a little slow at times, but generally the work in this match is pretty solid. Um, we get Chavo suplexes him to the floor. He does a nice springboard press to the outside. Um, I, I like the one spot he did. He did a head scissors into a power slam, which I thought was really cool. They do a double clothesline spot in the middle of the ring. The Chavo goes up and it's a big dive to the outside. Then, you know, because we couldn't just get, you know, a solid cruiserweight match between two good workers. We had to get a bunch of dumb bullshit. So <laughs> the filthy animals come back, even though they've been kicked out. I mean, they didn't say that the filthy animals were banned from ringside, that only the MIA were, but they still try to sneak back into ringside. Uh, they're wearing shitty masks and like Conan's wearing face paint. Obviously, it's obvious who they are, but uh, Scott Hudson and Mark Madden are acting like they have no idea who these guys are. Hey, that, that, that just made me think of something. Do you remember whenever Bobby Valentine put the, the disguise on after he got ejected? 
Yes, that was the only, <laughs> like the only, only ever time that that like gimmick actually was like funny. Was <laughs> when they did the Bobby Valentine. He gets ejected from a game and comes back wearing a fake mustache and is just sitting in the dugout. Yeah, that's the coolest. That's that's like the best version of this gimmick ever. Yeah, but. While all this dumb shit is going on, um, Hoovy hits a really cool, like, big guillotine leg drop to the floor, which looked like he kind of squashed Chavo's face a little bit on the landing, but <laughs> Chavo was fine. Um, they get back into the ring. Hoovy hits a springboard splash for a two count. He hits a Liger bomb out of the corner. Uh, it was at this point, for the first time in my notes, I write, quote, these announcers suck ass. <laughs> Oof. Um, Do you say, and, it, say it again at any point? Um, I, I think a couple more times. Mark Madden yeah, okay. actually did follow me on Twitter at one point, but I don't believe he does anymore. What? Yeah. Well, because he's like a Pittsburgh like sports media guy now. Oh. And like I used to freelance for a paper in Pittsburgh, so I think he followed me because of that. Um, and then I realized, you know, it's just like some guy, Mark Madden. I didn't realize at the time that it was the WCW announcer. And then I think by the time I realized that, he had already unfollowed, which is a shame. Uh, I, I, I missed out on a big opportunity there. Um, later on, you know, we're, we're coming to the end of this match. Uh, Bill DeMott comes out from Misfits in Action. At the time, his gimmick name, I believe, was General Hugh G. Rection. Yes. Uh, yep. I'm not sure I, I get what that means, but I'm sure it's funny. Hugh G-rection. I don't get it. <laughs> yeah, I don't, I don't what does the G either. stand for? Is it like, like Greg? Is it? Is this, yeah, it's probably what it is. Okay. Yeah. Okay. All right, all right. I think it's Grant. Um, Gary, oh, Gary. Gary. Maybe? Gary. Gary. Rection. Okay. Gerald. Yeah. Uh, but he comes out wearing a Bill Clinton mask and then like a geek. I think it's Scott Hudson yells, oh my God, it's Bill Clinton. <laughs> 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 then the rest of the MIA show up in masks. Um, and then while they're like kind of distracting the referee, um, major guns, who was like the, uh, like the, the valet of the group, Ma by the way, major guns, a fantastic name. <laughs> um, she shows up, she walks out while Juvie is on the top rope. She like rips off her shirt and distracts him. Um, and like Chavo dumps him off the top rope. Uh, Chavo gets the pin. He's down for three seconds, but the referee is distracted. We then go like this last sequence of the match is actually like really good. Bunch of reversals, bunch of near falls. Chavo hits a big inverted DDT. Hoovy comes back, hits a Michinoku driver, but then Chavo hits a tornado DDT and he wins the match. He wins the juicer weight title in 12 minutes and seven seconds. And then these mysterious interlopers at ringside they removed their masks and it's actually the mia i can't believe it they were here they were banned from ringside but they showed up dastardly dastardly, Absolutely dastardly. also uh just real quick it was still uh lieutenant loco chavo's belt uh juvie just stole it and walked out with it okay well, right I, right yeah who, yeah he was the champ yeah I, I don't even know i i don't understand uh this shit was I, and, and the thing is, like, the actual work itself in the match, I mean, this is, I mean, this is what you get a lot of the times, right? Like, especially with the cruiserweights in WCW, where the actual work itself in the match is good. You have two really good wrestlers. And especially, like, that ending sequence I thought was fantastic. But, you know, it's overshadowed by, like, 
why is Bill DeMott wearing a Bill Clinton mask? Couldn't they just have not done this? <laughs> Vince freaking Russo, bro. I love it. Uh, I will say this for Chavo. There has never been a point in my life where I thought Chavo looked like a top guy. This actually looks like top guy Chavo. Like, I actually thought he had a great look here. Um, there's a really cool moment where he hits a head scissors and then goes straight into a huge power slam in the beginning of this match. Uh, but yeah, David, like you said, it's, it's fun. It's a little bit slow at times. Uh, there's a hell of a near fall towards the end on the, like, inverted power bomb. So, like, you have those moments. It just feels like the run-ins and they do multiple near falls that kind of, like, really close to each other so they don't feel as important that kind of like mar it down a little bit i still thought it was fun uh the masks kind of get confusing especially when you're like oh they're still dressed in the same clothes they're just wearing a mask no like ugh. i don't know who that was for it wasn't it wasn't for anyone with an iq over 50 though let me tell you that yeah, yeah. this was this was so clearly a vince russo product to open the show it just it it physically pained me yeah I, I I I get why. So they do the they do the gimmick where misfits in action are banned from ringside. So they'll do some you know they'll do some tricky bullshit to get back ringside. I understand why they also did something with the filthy animals where it's like oh here they come and they're wearing masks and then they just leave and then they just leave and then they're not there anymore and it just it, there's there's no meaning to it. Like they just kind of did it for shits and gigs and then they leave. I don't I don't get it. Speaking but. of something else that you probably won't get, um, I decided to give it my own star ratings to these matches. No, they, well, you, you're trying to do a new segment here, brother? I don't know. Insult us. What? New season? Uh, new segment? I guess. Uh, so whose ranking was higher, mine or Meltzer's? Uh, uh, well, I mean... Meltzer's was a three. Three? Meltzer's. I'm, I'm saying Meltzer's was higher. No, I actually had it at 3.25. Because I thought that I like. Oh, again, I thought the shut works, up! I thought the the Look, I'm just. I was just curious. Hey, I want to compare me to like the guy that always does the rankings. I have not looked at it until this point, so this is live reactions. And who has never been wrong in his life? Nope, never been wrong. I'm always right. Ugh. Jets are winning the Super Bowl this year. Ugh, God. Okay, I guess I will humor you this time, Angelo, but only this time. That's fine. So, next up. We've got uh, another backstage thing uh, with Commissioner Katz. He's trying to communicate with the young dragons, the ninjas. They're now all kind of like standing around very politely in their office, uh, in, in Katz's office, like 15 minutes after they all gang attacked him. Uh, but now they're all just like kind of trying to talk it out. But, you know, the young dragons don't speak English, even though Jamie Noble is a He's from West Virginia, like, but he's also selling like he doesn't know English. Um, just, uh, just a mess. And then Jeff Jarrett shows up. Jeff Jarrett is defending the WCW World Heavyweight Championship tonight against Hollywood Hogan in the main event. He shows up with a like a an opera singer dressed like a Valkyrie for some reason. I never got this explained to me why he has this woman with him. For, like, There's a lot of days. things that never got explained. I, yeah, like world it's champion like, Jeff Jarrett. That was never explained to me, and you should warn your children before you expose them to world champion Jeff Jarrett. How do I talk to my children about world heavyweight champion Jeff Jarrett? Curse! How do I explain that to my children? But yeah, I I don't 
they I, I just there's this yeah I mean she's just dressed like kind of like the, the opera singer with like she's got like the big horned helmet and I don't know why she's hanging out with Jeff Jarrett there's there's never any explanation for this but we see this woman like twice more so I, I hope that she had a I hope she had a nice evening um, so next up it is the world hardcore championship it's goddamn big Vito defending the title pre-dress he's like a mob guy from you know new jersey or whatever um he is supposed to face the hardcore icon terry funk for the hardcore championship but they did an angle on thunder the week before where Vito took him out and now there's going to be a mystery opponent and it turns out this mystery opponent is screaming Norman Smiley, the big wiggle, coming out with our boy Ralphus in the shirt, pointing at his asshole. He comes out with Ralphus, and Vito says, hey, you know what? Let's make it a handicap match. So here we go. It is a two-on-one handicap match for the hardcore title. Norman Smiley and Ralphus challenging Big Vito. And so, yeah, Ralphus is a fat, older guy immediately gets the shit beaten out of him. Uh, Vito beats Smiley up with a kendo stick. They brawl near the stage, then through the back. They're, you know, it's it's your typical kind of backstage hardcore brawl. They're hitting each other with all the all the stuff that's lying around. Ralphus finally gets back there. He hits Vito with a garbage can a bunch of times. Uh, everyone's kind of slapping plastic cups at each other. They end up making their way over to the freight elevator and Vito tosses Smiley into the freight elevator and then slams the button and sends Smiley up a few floors. So now it's just Vito and Ralphus. Ralphus has been cut open at some point and his pants are also falling down. <laughs> Vito is just beating the hell out of Ralphus. They get their way back to the ring. We, we do have some Ralphus chants from the crowd. Um, Vito takes a trash can lid, puts it over Ralphus's nuts, and then hits the lid with his stickball bat. He then grabs a table from underneath the ring. And when he starts trying to set the table up in the ring, it's, it becomes obvious that the table is broken. Like, one of the table legs is, like, falling off. So he just sets it up anyway uh, on the one leg and just has it kind of leaning in a diagonal angle. And like lays Ralphus up against this inclined broken table, splashes Ralphus through the table, and he gets the pin. Five minutes and 56 seconds, Big Vito retains the hardcore title. This happens as Norman Smiley, in the last like 10, 15 seconds of this match, he reappears and starts walking down to the ring with no urgency whatsoever. Plenty of time for him to get in there and break up the pin. Walks out there very slowly, Stands there, watches him pin Ralphus, watches Ralphus lose him the match, <laughs> and then he just walks away. And that's the end of the, the segment. Uh, bring, back the the shit, man. <laughs> bring back the Italian gimmick. Yes. I like I hate uh. Big Vito, the theme was awesome. He looks like money. It's too bad he started like speaking. Money. He smells like money. Smells like money. He he starts <laughs> it's speaking. My man. Big Vito. <laughs> <laughs> Look, once he got on the mic, he need, he needs his mouthpiece. Not great on the mic, not his strong suit. But dude looks good. 
I'll be honest. Look good. Bring back the Italian gimmick. I loved it. Angelo, shut up. This sucked. You are such a mark. This is just because your your name is literally Angelo Inglisa. I'm yeah. not gonna. This is this is not objective analysis here for me. Never claim to be. But like, man, this uh, match sucked. Yes, the match absolutely did suck. The most enjoyment I got was watching Big Vito walk out. Because uh, again, it's Ralphus. <laughs> Ralphus is there. Because Jericho got him over because it's funny because he's an old fat guy. That's the joke. Yeah. That's it. That's really yep. that's really what it was. Uh, he was just like an old fat guy, and Jer- Jericho could get anything over, so he got Ralphus over. <laughs> <laughs> I wonder if somebody like dared Jericho. They were just like, hey, you think you could do it? And Jericho yeah. was like, uh, yeah, why like, not? Bro, in like 20 years, I'm going to get a list over, all right? Come on. <laughs> I'm going to make champagne one of the coolest things ever. I'm going to get yeah. Jake Hager over. <laughs> yeah, dude. Oh, God. What do you think is tougher to get over, Ralphus or Jake Hager? <laughs> Jake Hager. Dude, at least Ralphus is, like, different. Jake Hager is just ugly. I don't know. <laughs> Jake Hager is just, like, a big guy who stares at you. And there's, like, a thousand dudes like that in wrestling. <laughs> like, if you could get Jake Hager over, you could probably get Lars Sullivan over. Jake, Ooh, Jake Hager and Dexter Loomis would make one hell of a stares you uh, stares a hole in you tag team. Yes, just two <laughs> two big starey boys. I'm actually into that idea. I'm not gonna lie, I'm actually into that idea a little bit. Every now and again, I have a good one. No, but but yeah, uh, I just was baffled at the end because like, yeah. Norman Smiley, like, okay, you're trying to win a title, right? Like, where's the hustle? Yeah, can you like at least like jog? And he's he's carrying a trash can. Like, I I thought at the very least he would slide into the ring and then take a swing at uh, Vito with the trash can. He just doesn't. Can you can you jog, bro? Yeah, like, can you just like work up a little sweat? But no, he just stands there. He Get the let out. Lose, and he just leaves. He just walks away. He just turns around. He's like, all right, well. I'm gonna go. I'm gonna go get some catering, boys, and he just leaves. <laughs> and that's the end of the match. It's. I just. I don't like. This was on pay per view, by the way. Just this, remember that. So pay per view, and this is like actually probably one of the better things on the show. I mean, let me tell you guys. You know, I watched Raw this week, right? And Raw smells like, like this. Raw, no, 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 no. Here's what I'm gonna say. I watched Raw this week, right? And I watched Raw before I watched this. I watched, you know, this over the last couple of days because I like to watch it as close to when we record as possible so it's still pretty fresh. Um, so I watched Raw first. I watched it on Monday night and I watched it and I was like, man, this this show's bad, man. This, this is this shit is just really, really bad. And like, I think you said something to me about like, man, this really feels like death of WCW and like. I watched it and I was thinking, you know, that might be a little bit of overreaction, but I wasn't like saying like, oh, no, Angelo, you're wrong. You're so stupid for saying that. This is so much better than WCW. And then I go and I watch this and man, I wish I was watching Raw again. Like, like, there really is, there really is levels to this shit. You know what I mean? There really is levels to this shit. With Raw, and this is the thing that struck, like, I, I, I watched the first 40 minutes, and after 40 minutes, I gave up because it's just truly, truly bad. I think a lot of it has to do with the promos. Like, you had AJ yeah. Styles come out right off the bat, and he sounds like a generic mouthpiece for, you know, t- creative, in quotes. And then you have Kofi start speaking on the mic. I'm like, okay, Kofi actually has some, like, 
life to this promo. There's actually some uniqueness here, and that's when Styles kind of breaks out of that shell with his reactions. And then you hand it over to Riddle. And Riddle's just talking about, I'm actually wearing two of these shirts right now. One, because Randy doesn't wear shirts. Two, because <laughs> Randy also doesn't wear pants. And I just, that is like, there's like one or two things on that three hour program that will truly elicit a real response from me. Cause the wrestling's good. Like the wrestling that they do is like, okay, it's fine. It's good entering work. But then the promos or the segments that are supposed to carry the pieces between all are terrible. It completely derails everything. Right. And it's just like it bring back Tom Phillips. I thought Tom Phillips on commentary was fine, but like with other guys like Adna and Verk, unfortunately didn't work out. Jimmy yeah. Smith isn't bad, but when it's Jimmy Smith, Corey Graves and Byron Saxon, Unfortunately for all three of those guys, they don't have like that one voice that's just like, you know, middle ground. They almost all are kind of like grating on the ear. And like they yeah. all, they're, they're all, they're all good. They do do a good job. It's better than with Adnan and Verk. Like Adnan and Verk actually had a voice that was that middle ground, but unfortunately he couldn't commentate raw. So again, it all just falls apart because you have no good audio segues between the wrestling that's going on in the show. I, I really hope that you're not talking shit about the Matt Riddle gimmick right now, though. No, the Matt, I, I'm, the Riddle I'm gimmick loving, was I'm great. Loving, I'm loving the RK Bro tag team right now. That's Dude. that's like the only thing that I I don't actively detest on Raw right now. And also, I also like how they like overnight decided Bobby Lashley's gimmick is now he's the Godfather too. Like <laughs> he also has his own hoe train now. Cool. There are the awesome. two things. It's two the, things on a three-hour program. I like. Yeah. No. Yeah. I mean, it. I. Before we, we go away from the uh, raw commentary uh, talk, because it is very off topic, but like I always really liked Jimmy Smith when he used to commentate for like Bellator MMA. And I think he used to do UFC a little bit as well, but he was always a color guy. So it was like a weird choice for me. And like, I think he's a lot better than Adnan Burke was. But it's also I'm not like yeah this guy's killing it you know what I mean like why 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 couldn't you just keep Tom Phillips it's like, three color guys good and people liked it it's three I, color guys that's the exact you know what that's the exact thing it's like they don't have that Phillips was great for play by play and they have three color guys they're like okay we don't really need to explain the moves because the moves are important that's yeah they they all just very, sort of like they all sort of just like chime in at different times and it's just like there's no real flow to it I I agree with you there but. Yeah, man. Uh, I will say this, though. I would rather listen to Adnan Verk than probably Scott Hudson and Mark Madden screaming yes. for yes. three hours. Right? Just terrible. Agreed. Poor, poor Tony Schiavone. I feel for him. He's a legend. Uh, you know, he was he was working hard tonight trying to carry this. I will say the reactions later on by the commentary team redeemed the awful commentary for the rest of the card. Well, we'll get to my that. eyes. We'll get to that. So next up, we go from the uh, Ralphus match to something much worse. We have <laughs> a wedding gown match. He's not uh, kidding. This uh, wedding gown match has always been a big winner. It's it's it has never failed. No, it's never we been have bad. a wedding gown match between uh, Daphne, who her gimmick was like she's the kind of just a goth chick, and. Miss Hancock, better known as Stacy Keebler. And, you know, you have these two, you know, very, very good looking women who are fighting over the absolute charisma void 
that is David Flair. Like, <laughs> we are supposed to expect that these, these two women, who probably would do pretty well for themselves, are tearing each other apart because they want to be with David Flair. With nepotism inc- uh, incarnate. Yeah. Um, maybe they just want to hang out with Rick. And if that's the case, then I get it completely. And it makes sense. Um, Daphne, I think the story was like Daphne was engaged to David Flair. And then he left her for Stacy Keebler, which I mean, it is Stacy Keebler. So, I mean, I kind of get it. Uh, but they, they, you know, Stacy Keebler and David Flair, they do the entrance together. They've got a whole wedding decor around the ring with like a big wedding cake on the outside. Uh, Daphne is, or, uh, Miss Hancock and David Flair almost do a live sex celebration in the ring after their entrance. Uh, Daphne then walks out very gothly. Uh, she gets in the ring as David's trying to grab some ass, uh, of trying to grab Stacy's ass. She nut shots him. We get like a shitty cat fight. The rules of the match are, you have to rip the other girl's dress off to win. So as you can imagine, this is a very tasteful uh, and technical affair. Um, you've got David trying to help out Stacy. Um, of course, there's no, almost no actual wrestling in this match. Stacy does do a handspring back elbow at one point. Um, the handspring part looked good. The elbow part didn't look good. Could use some work. Uh, <laughs> but... 2000 Stacy Keebler does a better handspring back elbow than 2021 uh, Keiji Muto does in Noah. So uh, she's got that going for him. Um, yeah, no actual wrestling. Uh, at one point, Stacy kicks the referee in the balls and rips the referee's pants off. The referee is wearing uh, tidy whities that are like kind of like the bottom of his ref shirt is like tucked through his tidy white. <laughs> Um, and then Daphne rips David Flair's pants off. She hits him in the nuts again. She like slams Stacy's head into David's crotch. Um, David continues to try and help uh, Stacy win without pants. And then all of a sudden, Crowbar shows up. There was a guy named Crowbar. Uh, he shows up um, to help Daphne for some reason. Uh, he makes a run in. He back suplexes David. Crowbar then takes his own pants off for some reason. <laughs> he hits David with a front suplex and starts taking his own discarded jeans and choking David with the jeans. While all this is going on, Stacy Keebler then gets on the mic and says, I know what you people want to see. Hit my music. And then she takes her dress off. But the rules of the match are if you take your dress off or have your dress taken off, you lose. So that's the end of the match. In four minutes and 14 seconds, Stacey Keebler loses, apparently on purpose. And then uh, Daphne goes and gets a handful of the wedding cake. She shoves it in her face. And then everybody on, everybody there, David Flair, Crowbar, and the two women, they all fight each other. They're all doing a cake fight. And that's it. It's the single, it may be the single most nonsensical thing I have ever watched in my life watching wrestling the handspring is the only thing the only real note i have because the rest of this is just an absolute clusterfuck of what the hell is going on here it's like something out of a fever dream i don't i just don't understand what was going on so uh, i was listening to 83 weeks about this 
because um, I was curious. Like, this was not part of the 83 part. weeks. No, no. <laughs> but it was, uh, Bischoff was talking about it. And basically, like, Bischoff had just come back to the company here. And Conrad was like, so, boy, what are you going to say to defend this one? And he was like, this was Russo's idea. And that's yeah, pretty I'm much sure all he said. <laughs> I'm sure it was. Yeah, I'm sure it was. I'm sure you had nothing to do with it, Bischoff. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. Nah, that he wasn't was me, like, man. Like, like, like 20 minutes before, he was like, you know, all decisions had to be run by me now because I was a consultant. So everybody had their ideas. They brought them to me. And whenever they got to this, Conrad was like, well, what happened here? And he was like, well, I had to give Russo some leeway. <laughs> yeah. Okay, Eric. Sure. Well, okay. All right. Yeah. Cool. Whatever, dude. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, we have seen a lot of stuff on this show, usually relating to late period WCW that just make no sense and I thought was incredibly dumb. This is like way up there. This is way up. There. And there's, some, there's another thing later in this show that's also way up there that we're going to talk about. But this is way up there in terms of like the dumbest shit I've ever watched. Some next <laughs> level stuff. Yeah. Stacey Keebler loses the uh, the wedding gown match on purpose, apparently. So um, backstage, we've got uh, Commissioner Katz wandering around, muttering to himself, apparently. And then we have the young dragons still stalking him. They ominously emerge from hiding, foreshadowing, perhaps, uh, another young dragons Ernest the Cat Miller segment. We'll see. Uh, we then go to the commentary desk. The whole gimmick going on right now is where's Hogan? Hulk Hogan is supposed to challenge for the title tonight, but he's not here. Where is he? Where is he? And they, the, the three guys like ad lib for like five minutes while we see 600 people trying to clean cake off the <laughs> ring and like the ringside mats. They clearly didn't think that through. Yeah. Eventually, after they mop the whole arena down, we get to our next match. It is a tag team championship match. Uh, it is the a tag team that I, I have no memory of ever seeing. Uh, the perfect event. Sean Stasiak and Chuck Palumbo. They are the world champions. They are defending against Chronic. Two big beefy boys named Brian. Brian Clark and Brian Adams. Uh, they actually have a, a pretty cool ring entrance where they have a bunch of smoke and lasers. It looks neat. Um, according to Dave Meltzer, Brian Clark is injured and is working at like 50%. So naturally, this will be one of the longest matches on the show. Um, it is just a pretty slow kind of formulaic, you know, big boy tag team wrestling match for just big tan roided up white boys going at it. Brian Adams, uh, never a great worker, but he's really big, um, so he's got that going for him. He gorilla presses Sean Stasiak out of the ring at one point, which gets a good pop from the crowd. I, I will say this. The crowd did react pretty well to this match almost the whole way through. Chronic was over. Yeah, Chronic was actually surprisingly over. Um, we then get our first introduction to the, the fact that like apparently DQs didn't exist in WCW at this point anymore. We see it a lot later on, especially, yeah. but we have uh, Chuck Palumbo hitting Brian Adams in the head with a chair on the outside, right in front of the referee. He's looking at it. Nothing happens, so I guess there's just no DQs. Um, 
at one point, uh, Chuck Palumbo does a long sleeper hold spot. At this point, I notice a guy in the fifth row wearing what appears to be a Keyshawn Johnson Buccaneers jersey. Really cool. Ouch. Hurts. That hurts me deep. We then get like two more really long like chin lock spots. Clark goes for a pump handle slam. Palumbo reverses it into the DDT. Really, honestly, uh, Sean Stasiak and Chuck Palumbo, they really carry this whole match. Um, they hit a double flapjack on Clark. Stasiak especially really carries this match. They hit a double flapjack on uh, Clark. Adams gets in and breaks the pin. Brian Adams then hits what appears to be a proto F5 on, Brian, on, on Sean Stasiak. Uh, they do a double big boot into the corner. They hit a double choke slam on Stasiak, but Palumbo breaks up the pin. They hit a double choke slam on Palumbo. Stasiak grabs what appears to be some kind of like pull-up bar or something like that, takes a swing at Chronic with it, misses. Chronic then hits him with a doomsday device, and Chronic wins the tag team titles. 13 minutes and 36 seconds. Boring slow match, but I will say the last couple minutes I thought were pretty good. But but why were the last couple minutes just Sean Stasiak kills everybody? Like, who asked for that? Yeah, they did a lot of the, uh, like, hot tag, here comes a bunch of moves, then yeah, hot tag, fun. come back and move, hot tag, like, but they did it too much. There's a there's too much of it going on. It gets repetitive. But, but why was the last hot tag to Sean Stasiak? Like, because the dude was, sold his ass off in this match. Yeah, because, because they were the heels. Yeah, they were the heels. But he's legitimately like, the only guy that could work in this match. I mean, fine, I just, I don't know. Just didn't make any sense. I was gonna say, Again, David, you said that. I know that, I'm the cynic here, but you said that Brian Adams was injured, correct, or was it Brian Clark? Brian, Brian Clark. Brian Clark. You said Brian Clark was injured. I could not tell because this looked like every other chronic match that was slow plotting with a lot <laughs> of sleeper holds and power moves. Yes, but uh, apparently Brian Clark was injured. Uh, so there's that. P- Palumbo countering the meltdown. I also wrote down as a pretty interesting event that occurred in this match. But other than that, this was just. This could have been this could have been in the eighties. You could have told me this was an eighties match, and I would have believed you. Yes, I, I, I did though. Like Brian Adams hitting an F five. Yeah, made me wonder like because I mean, he did he literally hits an F five on Stasiak, and it made me wonder like I mean I don't remember really you know anyone other than Brock Lesnar doing that mat, uh, that move specifically, but it makes me wonder like where did that move get invented? You know what I mean? Because I mean this is this is a couple years before Lesnar ever wrestles. Wait, no, was, who else did it? Um, like Matt Morgan or somebody like that? He might have. I don't really remember, though. I mean, it, obviously, it's a move that is, uh, you know, it is, like, associated with Brock Lesnar. Right, but, like, I thought there was a guy. I, I'm pretty sure Matt Morgan did it. I'm just, I'm just wondering when he did it. I don't remember. I'll, I'll be honest with you. I don't remember. Uh, we'll hmm. we'll do some we'll do some more. Uh, you all talk and I'll get it. Yeah, yeah, yes. yeah. Because he because he f five the big show at one point. You're right. Okay, I do remember that. And that's but kind when... of that's kind of like same time ish yeah. as Lesnar. This is pre Lesnar, so I'm wondering like who who was the first person to do the you know to do the 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 f5 you know i don't know that's interesting yeah i don't know we should do some research on that so next up we're backstage we've got commissioner cat he's on the phone 
mumbling to no one. Uh, Jeff Jarrett shows up again with his like Valkyrie opera singer. He is demanding that Hogan show up, and he says if he doesn't get Hogan, he's going to start messing up the show. And then again, the music hits, and the young dragons appear out of nowhere again, and they attack Commissioner Cat with nunchucks. Yawn. They have nunchucks. Um, cool ass uh, wrestling nunchuck thing, by the way. I, I, I'm sure none of you guys watch NXT UK, but like Tyler Bate has this insufferable new like Zen type gimmick. Oh he, no! They had they literally did like a vignette with him last week where it's like him meditating, and then it's like him in his like backyard doing nunchucks, <laughs> <laughs> and it's, it's like the funniest shit I've ever seen in my entire life. The only parts of NXT UK I indulge myself in are the ones that involve Ilya Dragunov, and the last one that I watched was him walking off with a stuffed therapy dog from Noam Noam Dar's talk show. Yes, Noam Dar's talk show is actually a a lot funnier and better than it sounds. Is it Um, better than Miz TV? Jesus. Yes, I would say it's better than Miz TV. I would say it's better than Miz TV. Uh, It's got kind of a Scottish Eric Andre show vibe a little bit. (laughs) I enjoy it. Um... But yeah, next up, who I have a question for you guys. All right, who better than Canyon? DDP. Yeah, yeah, I guess. I guess he's probably better than Canyon. Uh, <laughs> so the list has one person. <laughs> yeah. It is Chris Canyon, who at the time, rest in peace, to Chris Canyon, who is at the time doing his gimmick of like DDP's buddy, pretty much, kind of hanger on, wants to be DDP. They were in the Jersey Triad Can together. You blame him? No, DDP's awesome. Of course you want to be like DDP. He's got like this fake DDP hair and he comes out with like DDP's book, which you would hide a brick inside of and hit people with, uh, which is actually a kind of a great gimmick, to be honest with you. He is wrestling Booker T, who is actually pretty over. Everyone loves Booker. He's cool. Uh, Big Booker T chance as the match starts. Booker rips off Canyon's fake DDP hair as the match starts. He hits him with, like, just an awesome-looking clothesline. Like, this particular clothesline struck me as being really good. Uh, and he rips off his DDP shirt. He then gets Canyon's DDP book. He opens it up. The brick drops out of it. He grabs the brick. He tosses it to the side. Uh, it's all Booker early. And then Canyon reverses him, tosses him to the floor. This, I thought, was, a, a like, the kind of spot that, like, I guess in wrestling logic makes sense, but doesn't in any real, in like the real world make any sense at all. Canyon uh, puts the steel steps on top of Booker and then jumps off the apron and hits the steps with a chair, <laughs> which like you could tell, like it just looks like it wouldn't, like that would do nothing. But, uh, you know, in wrestling logic, I guess it is a devastating move. And then... You know, Booker sells it. Canyon hits a big outside in suplex off the middle rope for a two count. Booker comes back with a power slam. Canyon hits a sit-out Alabama slam for a near fall. He locks in the reverse Boston Crab. Booker gets out. He whips Canyon into a chair that Canyon had set up previously in the corner in between the turnbuckle pads. Booker hits him with a spine buster for a near fall. When the referee is turned around, Canyon hits him with the book, but Booker had taken the brick out. They actually pan to ringside. They show the brick sitting over at the ringside area. <laughs> uh, Booker kicks out of that. 
He spinneroonies up back to his feet, which was really cool. He hits the the scissor kick. He hits the book end, but Canyon kicks out. And then all of a sudden, when Booker is on the top rope, Canyon like grabs onto the referee. Jeff Jarrett runs out with the referee being distracted by Chris Canyon. Uh, Jarrett hits him with the guitar. The guitar shatters into a trillion pieces. Booker is out. Canyon hits the Canyon Cutter and wins the match. Ten minutes and five seconds. Chris Canyon, the winner. Man, you know they're putting over uh, they're putting over Booker so hard here. I hope he gets like a title match later. Dude, I really hope so. He deserves it, man. Yeah, but um, it's weird that you know, would, I, it would make you make a title match with a guy that lost on the night before, like uh, during yeah, the night. No, no, yeah. I, maybe it's gonna be Chris Canyon. You know, maybe. Yeah, yeah. Chris Canyon always. Chris Canyon, of course, always booked incredibly strong. Just, I mean, guy was a freaking Terminator in WCW. So, I mean, like this match was fine. I guess best best thing on the mat on the card so far. I think we can agree. Yeah. Oh uh, yeah. I mean, it was a, it was the perfectly fine match. It was all right. It's, it's, up, it's, it was, up, it's up there with the uh, cruiserweight match. At least this was a match with exactly like one bout of interference, and then it was done. Yes. Because, like, the Cruiserweight match, probably the level of work was better than this, but you had so much weird bullshit throughout. Whereas this, it's like your typical, okay, well, we have a solid match, and then we have the interference spot where a guy hits a guy with a weapon, and then the other guy hits his finisher, and that's it. It's like, all right, well, that's usually how interference works. So, okay, you know, that's <laughs> not going to, like, you know, that's not going to distract me or really take me out of it or have me sitting there thinking, like, what the hell am I watching right now? Yeah. You know? Did you guys watch the uh, Booker T, the story, like the WWE and uh, any program about Booker T? I did not. No, act, was act, it good? It was pretty good. Like, again, you talk, it talks about Booker, his life, uh, his event, like, you know, the big moments for him in WWE. They mentioned King Booker. They mentioned, like, his personal life now. Uh, it was really kind of cool. He has his own wrestling program that, you know, got stopped due to COVID. But, you know, seems like a really cool guy. Give me short hair book any day of the week, though. Short hair book just cuts a more intimidating presence for me. Um, he also just, this is a match we didn't, haven't seen in a lot with Booker T, but this is kind of shows me like why Booker T was so good as a wrestler. He just connects with the crowd at a different level than a lot of other people. Like the way he feeds off the crowd throughout the rest of this match, it always feels important. It always feels like it's within the flow. It's not like he's overly trying to get the crowd involved. It looks like he just knows when to get the crowd. And it's, Again, what makes Booker Booker? Uh, I thought it was funny that Canyon does the reverse Boston Crab because I'm pretty sure we've mocked it on the podcast before. Because it's just a goofy looking move. Uh, the Alabama Slam Canyon hit too was really nice, but like there's a lot of cool moves here. Is it the best match? No, but it's definitely like has a lot of good moments. It's paced well and it tells a story. And you get that Jared interference, which is just weird but at the end of the night it kind of makes sense and helps tell that story as well as you can on the fly so you know all in all this is easily the highlight of the entire pay-per-view until the end and it's the only bright spot we have for some time yeah 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 it gets uh both figuratively and literally dark after this i will say there's one (laughs) there's one other match besides the real main event that I did enjoy that I'm going to get crap for. There's a lot of things like, like the words you're saying could mean a lot of things. Like when you say the real main event, I assume you're talking about uh, Booker and Jarrett, but like, are you, maybe you're talking about Hogan Jarrett. No, that's not a main event. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. 
I don't know. I, I think what Angelo says is there's a lot to that. I mean, the way that Booker, for most of his career as uh, his solo run, he didn't really have like kind of an overt character outside of like, I'm kind of a cool dude and I do the spin Rooney. You know what I mean? Like, but he did. I, we, we talk about Booker a lot. I feel like Jake especially kind of maligns him a little bit because he's always like, you know, well, what what good match did Booker ever have? You know? And like, yeah, you know, maybe not a lot of Booker matches were like great matches, but the guy had this way of connecting with the crowd as a babyface. Yeah, they did the like fans, him a lot. The fans liked him and just thought he was cool. Which we kind of got robbed of, like during our like big time of fandom, is because he was working heel that entire time. Yeah, I mean, I I did watch Booker T his last. You know, I started watching before he did the King Booker gimmick, and I thought Booker T was really cool. He just seemed like a cool dude, and he did the spinneroonie, and I thought the scissor kick looked really cool, you know. So I was a Booker T mark, and then he, you know, he turned heel, and I hated him. That son of a bitch, <laughs> King, the hell out of here. But yeah, I, I also agree with it. I'm going to agree, Angelo, twice wow. in one segment. Let me write this down real that, quick. Which is a new record. Um, I agree with him. That, you know, we're all used to long dreads, Booker. But I like shorter hair, like WCW Booker. I think he—that's a cool look. I think Har- he like like Harlem Heat Booker. Yeah, I think that's a cool. Well, I mean, like Booker, like, um, like yeah, like Harlem Heat Booker. He kind of had like the buzz cut, but then like I'm thinking like later on, like when he had like kind of like the flat top. No, like the, he kind of had like the the, ha- the, the like the half dress. Oh, 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 okay, yeah, okay. Yeah, like whatever he's got here. Yeah, like what he has here. But then, yeah, before that, he had, you know, the buzz cut when he was in, like, a Harlem Heat. But, like, this is a good Booker look. This is a prime book. Oh, yeah. Did you guys catch the commentary team refer to Booker as Stevie? Or was that in the Bane event? Uh, did they really do that? Yeah, they did. Uh, who was it? Don't tell me it was Shivani. Uh, no, it was not Shivani. It was one of the two Stooges. Okay. I could, well. By the way, I can't discern between Mark Madden and Scott Hudson. Yeah, I, Mark- I know Matt, Madden usually says the more over-the-top shit. Yeah. But, like, even then, it's hard to discern. Madden was the bigger guy who I think was on Shivani's left. Yes. Um, but it's it's also, like, hard to tell between whose voice it is. Yeah, to be that, with you. I can recognize who's who. I can't tell with my ears who's who. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, there's that. Next up, we have backstage Mike Awesome. We love Mike Awesome. This is a Two and a Half Marks podcast favorite. This is when they are trying to transition him into this is a Vince Russo creation. The Mike Awesome Fat Chick Thriller gimmick, which but, was a real oh, gimmick that Mike yes. Awesome had. They're starting to transition him into it. I thought they'd been and, doing it because I thought we had like a 19, late 90s event that he was on that he was already no, starting to do you're, it. You're talking about the That 70s Guy. Uh, the 70s Guy Mike Awesome gimmick, which was what he was doing in WCW when he first showed up. Then he transitioned into the fat chick thriller gimmick, which is a career killing gimmick if there ever was one given to a guy who absolutely freaking rule. I mean, Mike Awesome was freaking great and we love him. Uh, but yeah, in this show that manifests in him trying to hit on uh, Jeff Jarrett's uh, Valkyrie Opera singer woman and then uh, scorning Tori Wilson when she comes up and tries to talk to him. So, yes, next up, Mike Awesome is in the ring. He is challenging for the United States title against the champion, an absolutely bulbous-looking Scott Steiner. 
who comes out with his freaks and his peaks. And this match starts out really, really hot. Uh, they brawl into the crowd. It just looks really fun and chaotic in there. Awesome hits him with a garbage can, slams him onto the cement floor. They're beating the hell out of each other. Crowd's loving it. They make their way back to the ring. Steiner hits him with a chair, hits him with a massive middle rope belly-to-belly suplex. Mike Awesome uh, reverses his suplex, drops him over the top rope to the outside, hits an elbow drop off the apron. Then more weapons, hits him with a chair, hits him with the ring bell, pounds him with another chair, uh, hits a slingshot, a slingshot splash into the ring for a near fall, goes up, hits a, uh, a big diving clothesline. Mike Awesome's got all the offense going on. Meanwhile, uh, Commissioner Ernest the Cat Miller, having apparently fended off the nunchuck attack of the Young Dragons, uh, makes his way out to the ring. And as he kind of slowly wanders down to ringside, Steiner gets up, turns around, hits a belly-to-belly suplex. He is about to lock on his finishing hold, the Steiner Recliner, one of the greatest submission hold names of all time. But Ernest the Cat Miller is in a little bit of a feud with Scott Steiner, and now he's the commissioner. He has power. He has decided he is going to ban the Steiner Recliner. And he says, don't you do it. Don't do it. Do not lock that hold in. Steiner knocks him off the apron, turns around. Awesome hits him with a low blow, hits an Alabama slam for a near fall, goes up, hits a huge frog splash. Mike Awesome was a very big man for a near fall. We then get a ref bump. Ernest the Cat Miller gets in the ring, accidentally thrust kicks Awesome in the face. Steiner hits Ernest the Cat Miller with a belly-to-belly suplex, hits one on Mike Awesome. He's about to lock in the Steiner recliner again. Ernest the Cat Miller says on the mic, you know what? No, you can't do this. Let me tell you this. If you put the Steiner recliner on Mike Awesome, I will strip you of the United States title. Steiner looks at him and says, you know what, buddy? Screw you. And he does it anyway. He puts the Steiner recliner on him. And then Ernest the Cat Miller, the commissioner of WCW, tells the ref, ring the bell. The ref rings the bell. And the new United States champion, by disqualification, is Mike Awesome. In nine minutes and nine seconds, afterwards, Steiner uh, suplexes Mike Awesome on his head as Ernest Cat Miller limps off with the U.S. title belt. Uh, hell of a way to make your new champ look strong, ladies and gentlemen. This flat out sucked, to be honest. Uh, like, wow, Angelo. You start off with like a really nice hoss fight. Like You have them brawl through the crowd. You have that uh, top rope belly-to-belly suplex by Steiner. You have a lot of those big power moves early. And then it just slows down to a crawl, and then Cat gets involved, and then you're talking about band moves, and then you have one of the shittiest finishes that I've seen in a wrestling match. It just all, like, the ending, like, the last half of this match was awful, and really made it suck. There's potential in the beginning, and that's the worst part, because it teases you with a good match. It teases you with that potential, with giant Scott Swole Steiner, who really can't sell to save his life against Mike Awesome, a guy that we all love, and it just ends with this ugly, mired DQ finish by the commissioner running out. Like, this is just... Smells like death. That's because it was death, Angelo. This is bad. Like, David, do you want to speak on behalf of your man? 
Which these guys are both my man. Honestly, I mean, I mean, I mean like like Scott Steiner was cool beyond this. What about what about your guy Mike Awesome? I know you're a big Mike Awesome guy. I'm a huge Mike Awesome guy, and it's it's a shame because his WCW run was such a travesty. You know, I mean, this is the I guess technically would be kind of the the high point of his WCW career was he became the United States Champion. He won the mid card belt, but he won it by losing and then got beaten up afterward and you know like is left laying in the ring and the whole time he was there he has dumbass gimmicks the last time uh we we saw him if i remember correctly he beats uh jeff jarrett but he needed like help from the entire buffalo bills and gary coleman to do it yeah so like and this is a kind and of guy. Gary Coleman. And Gary Coleman. I mean, I'm not making that up. I don't remember which which event that was, but I'm sure you guys can track it down. And we did that. We did that show. I want to say it's like Fall Brawl 1999. Yeah, that that might have been it. I don't remember. Uh, but yeah, like this is a guy in Mike Awesome who in ECW was a great champion. Had those legendary matches with Masato Tanaka. Was just an incredible guy to watch because back then you didn't see guys that size do the things that he did. Always worked hard, always had exciting matches, gets to WCW, and it's just like death. He gets the dumbest gimmicks and is treated like a goof. And then shit like this happens. You know, it's just a disaster. It sucks. Yeah. I, I this, so, these are just bad. Like, I have nothing. You guys know that I shit on all this stuff anyway. And, like, so clearly there's nothing redeeming that I'm going to say about this. It was terrible. It was bad. And that's all I got. The only good thing about this match is that it's making me remember the Tanaka Taz Mike Awesome match, Ooh, which was yeah, so good. And we had that uh, back yeah. in episode three. That match was so cool because yeah, it's a three way dance, and Taz is the champion, and he gets eliminated like five minutes in, and then the crowd's like, "Oh shit!" Like new champ, and then Tanaka and Awesome go out and then just murder each other for like twenty minutes. <laughs> it's just, it's just that match ruled. Yeah. Uh, yeah, we'll just ignore this and watch some Mike Awesome ECW matches. Yeah. Or some Mike Awesome FMW matches. Those are also cool. Don't watch this next match, though. This next match is awful. Yes. So, yeah, I, I, the, the thing I will say about this match, I thought it was good until Ernest the Cat Miller showed up. So, next up. Okay, so one of my favorite things that we watched since doing this podcast was, and I think we talk about this quite a bit, the Junkyard Invitational match <laughs> that WCW did, where it's a bunch of dudes in a dark junkyard and you can't see anything and you have no idea what's going on. Really, you know, it's, it's a cinematic match. Cinematic matches have been all the rage the last couple of years, especially since COVID. But, you know, we have Matt Hardy and the Broken Saga to, to thank for that. The explosion in cinematic matches, hell, I mean, they just had one at Double or Nothing a couple weeks ago. They did the Stadium Stampede. Uh, this is a, a trailblazer in cinematic matches. We are... <laughs> Wait, Dave, hold on. Sorry, what? I wasn't totally paying attention. And then I heard you say trailblazer? Yes. I this don't know what your a... definition of this is. This presaged the uh, the Mad Hardy final deletion by like sixteen years, seventeen years. Except, Do you know? You know, hey, we're doing this weird, goofy, like 
cinematic match in like a, a dark and mysterious locale. Someone ends up like in the water and somebody literally dies and is like killed and buried and thrown into an open grave. Listen, without uh, this match, we get the final deletion like 10 years earlier because this set cinematic matches back <laughs> 10 years. Yes. We would have had this, the final deletion in 2007 and it would have been like The Undertaker versus Mr. Kennedy. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. But no, I mean like we, we I feel like we commonly think about cinematic matches as being a thing that really kind of started with the final deletion, but no, here they are doing a goofy piece of shit in 2000. It is, and here's the thing about this match, the graveyard match. They had this big gimmick match, this big graveyard match. I mean, that sort of sounds like something you would promote, right? Did they mention it once? Before no. it started, I, I didn't hear it mentioned until it start until it started. Nope. Yeah, you would think they would promote the graveyard match because it's it's a graveyard match. No, they're like they like okay. Steiner beats up Mike Awesome. Ernst the Cat Miller limps away. That's the end of that match. They then cut to uh, the commentary desk, and they all three guys are like, "Ah, oh, yeah." So uh, here's the graveyard match. And I'm like, wait, what, what What? do you mean graveyard match? It's a graveyard match. It is exactly what it sounds like. It is Vampiro taking on the demon. Wait, so, Finn Balor? No. A little bit about the demon gimmick. So the demon was a guy named uh, Dale Torborg, who was actually his dad, uh, used to be the... His dad, like... Previously, he was the was the manager of like the Chicago White Sox, um, and like the next year, the Kiss Demon's dad was hired as the manager of the Montreal Expos. So this guy is like from a baseball family, becomes a pro wrestler, gets his big break in WCW when he gets hired to do a gimmick that is based on the band Kiss. You know, Gene Simmons, like he has like kiss makeup on, but then like there ended up being, I think like, uh, they were going to do a, like a concert or something. I think they did like a, a kiss concert on nitro to like intro the kiss demon and the ratings. It was like the worst rated <laughs> segment in the history of nitro. So they got rid of like the kiss aspect of it. But he was still like this guy called the Demon, who had Kiss makeup on. But they didn't call him the Kiss Demon. Anymore. It's interesting because on uh, Wikipedia he's just known as the Demon. But if you yeah. go on Profite Database, he is listed as the Kiss Demon. Yes. So it is the Kiss Demon. He is feuding with Vampiro. Uh, they had previously been in a stable together, which I believe has been. Uh, uh, referenced on this podcast called the Dark Carnival. Yeah, it was yeah. him and like uh, I want to say uh, Vampiro was in it, and like Great Muda was in it, and then it was like the Insane Clown Posse. Yes, um, but then like the Kiss Demon turned babyface. He turned against Vampiro, and now they're feuding, and it leads to them fighting in a graveyard for some reason. Um, Kiss Demon is accompanied by a uh, big bodybuilder woman named Asia who was kind of floating around WCW this time. 
she was actually his uh, like like wife in real life. They were actually, I, I believe, still married. Um, I think they were engaged at the time, but she's like this jacked bodybuilder woman. So she comes out there with him. She's accompanying him. The The opening of this segment is the Kiss Demon, Asia, and referee Lil Nate Charles Robinson, who will literally save the Kiss Demon's life several times during this match. Uh, like, all traipsing into this graveyard looking for Vampiro, and they're all, like, they're all looking around, and they can't find him. <laughs> and, uh, you know, they... they this graveyard also appears to be in a jungle, and they can't find Vampiro anywhere. They walk over and find an empty casket. They open the casket. Vampiro's not in there, and they're like, what? Where is he? He's not here. And uh, then Vampiro literally jumps out of the tree and attacks the Kiss Demon. Um, they fight for a while. I can't... I'm not even going to try to call any of this, because it is so dark... That I cannot tell what anything is going on. Literally, like, um, literally, like, it's, it's unbelievable. Like, most of the lighting comes from Charles Robinson literally shining a flashlight on these two guys' fights. So like, bad. It's, it's, it's amazing. Like, you, the, like, you, the only light that you get to even barely illuminate what is actually going on is from a handheld flashlight. That little little Nate is carrying around. It's it's amazing. Um, so they fight for a while. Uh, Vampiro, like I, I, I'm having trouble like seeing what's going on. But Vampiro like drags him into an open grave at one point and like tosses him in. He then grabs his wife Asia and like drags her off. Um, and then like Kiss Demon goes off afterwards, trying to trying to find her, trying to figure out what the hell is going on. Um, they end up in this uh, pond, which I don't know. Might, maybe this was the uh, the inspiration for the Lake of Reincarnation in the uh, broken in the Broken Hardies universe. Uh, but Vampiro like gets the jump on him and like, throws him into the pond, and they fight each other. And uh, like the announcers are selling it, like, oh, he's gonna drown him in the pond. But maybe there are alligators in there. One of them literally is like, yeah, there might be alligators in the pond. Who knows? <laughs> and they they keep fighting. Uh, Vampiro beats him up. He leaves him like floating in the pond. He drags Asia off again. Uh, Charles Robinson then like dives in like a lifeguard and like <laughs> like pulls the kids demon out of the pond. Um, then they make their way back to the the casket which we previously saw. Vampiro like emerges from the casket and sort of spits like the red mist in his face, and then. The Kiss Demon, who is just, you know, the Kiss Demon is, like, done. Like, he's been basically beaten up the whole match. And uh, Vampiro asks him, will you join me? <laughs> Kiss Demon says, never. Vampiro says, you couldn't beat me. You should have joined me. He grabs a tombstone. He hits him in the head with it. Not, I'm, I'm not talking about a, a tombstone pile driver. He literally grabs, like, a tombstone <laughs> and hits him in the head with it. And, uh... Puts him in the casket, dumps the casket into the open grave, throws a torch into the grave, and then he walks off. And that's the uh, end of the match. Wait, did you did you hear? No, was it? Uh, that's not the end of the match. Technically, no. But that's the end of the segment. <laughs> the rules the rules state, David, that the winner is not declared until somebody makes it back to the ring. 
It's like the same BS with the uh, hardcore match. It's like, oh, it's got to start in the back and then finish in there. It's like, get, no, stop with this nonsense. We don't need this nonsense. Uh, the tombstone, getting hit in the head with the tombstone was the only cool part about this entire match. Uh, the finish itself is fine, but like everything else, it is, I want to make sure I get my time right, it is eight minutes of nothingness. <laughs> It's, it's eight, eight minutes, minutes of and it nothing. Feels, it feels like twenty. It legit feels like felt, twenty. Felt like twenty-five. <laughs> I was like, "When is this going to be over?" And that's a lot of these matches on the card too. Is like, they're not long. Like the longest match is thirteen minutes thirty-four seconds, but they feel like they're twenty minutes long. Yeah, and that's not and a good thing. All the you time. know the one thing that made this better for me. Did you hear Vampiro call him Dale at one point? Yes. Yeah, he was they like, call him Dale like several times on on like commentary. Oh, do they really? I was yeah. I guess I wasn't paying attention to them. I just heard at one point Van Van Pino be like, "Come on, Dale," and I was like, "Wait, what? Like is like is he a demon or is he Dale? He's a demon named Dale. <laughs> that sounds like a TV show. He is he is the reincarnated form of Dale Earnhardt. Oh wow, that. Yeah. That sucks. Damn Wait, was Dale Earnhardt was Dale Earnhardt still was Dale Earnhardt Yeah, he was alive? he was still alive. Yeah, was he really? He got to jump on reincarnation early. Oh yeah, no, he was he was still alive. He died in two thousand one. Okay, never mind that. No, this is literally just some dude named, named Dale. Yeah. So, Kiss Demon just gets his ass beat. I mean, he just like, he gets nothing in, gets killed, and that's the end of the match. But yeah, it's it's incredible because like. You maybe would have thought they would have learned their lesson from the Junkyard Invitational, where, like, they do this kind of off-site cinematic match, and it's incredibly dark and no one can see anything, that they would, like, invest in some lighting. Like, the uh, the similarly named Boneyard match between AJ Styles and The Undertaker also took place in, like, a dark graveyard, but they had enough lighting that you could actually tell what was going on while still retaining that, like, oh, it's dark and spooky out here, you know what I mean? While still maintaining that ambiance. <laughs> but here, it's just like, yeah, I don't know what's going on because I can't see anything. Like, the only lighting comes from, like, yeah, the torch that the Kiss Demon carries in. And then, uh, yeah, Charles Charles Robinson has, like, a flashlight that he bought at, like, Target. And that's it. You can't see anything. It's, it's, it's like, bad. unbelievably bad. Yeah. Dave Meltzer gave this minus two stars. That was I honestly generous. Think he, I think he's being generous, yeah. <laughs> After all this shit, it just cuts to a Shane Douglas cutting a promo. Uh, what else are you supposed to do, David? Yeah, I, yeah, I don't know. Uh, Shane Douglas cuts a promo, guaranteeing a win over his former tag partner, Buff Bagwell. Buff has got the stuff tonight. Their match is up next. Yeah, it's Buff Bagwell and Shane, the franchise Douglas... Buff starts uh, some franchise sucks chants from the crowd. The crowd gets into those chants. They're pretty enthusiastic about how much uh, the franchise sucks. They fight on the outside early. Uh, Shane Douglas exposes the floor, teases a pile driver onto the concrete, but Buff turns it into a back body drop. Douglas picks him up, slams him crotch first into the ring post. He then punches a chair into Buff's face. Kind of a, you know, it's a formulaic little match. But then we needed to have some weird stuff happening. So 
Tori Wilson comes out as Shane Douglas is uh, beating down Buff Bagwell. Douglas walks up to her. Tori slaps him in the face. Buff rolls him up. Shane kicks out, but Buff starts, you know, really running wild on him. He gets a Vader bomb for a two count. Tori gets in the ring, and Buff, Bagwell, and Tori Wilson start smooching each other. And then Buff turns around, and Tori swerves on him, and she boots him in the nutsack. And then Shane Douglas hits his move, the Pittsburgh Plunge, for a two count. They go back and forth for a little bit. Uh, Buff Bagwell hits a double underhook DDT. Douglas kicks out. Buff Bagwell tosses Tori Wilson out of the ring. And then Shane Douglas pins him with a jawbreaker in 7 minutes and 53 seconds. Afterwards, Tori Wilson and Shane Douglas smooch each other in the ring. I, I'm going to be honest. Who do we like more? Do we like Buff Bagwell or uh, uh, was it Mar- Marcus out? Al- Marcus Alexander Bagwell. Yeah, Marcus Alexander Bagwell. Who do we like more? Because I know which one I'm on. Buff. I'm a Give buff me Buff guy. Bagwell, baby. Buff's got the stuff. I'm going to be honest here. This was a great match. I love this match. I love this match. I loved it. Angelo, did you oh see God, the finish? Dude. Yes. That shit was terrible. I thought it was okay. great. Angelo, what did you like about it? All right, so... I'm not even humoring him. No, I don't even. Wanna... <laughs> <laughs> okay, so you have two guys that have a feud that feels important that look like guys that can be near the top of the card. Like Shane Douglas, I the promo wasn't great, but like he's got that kind of way with fans that make him f- feels good. Buff connects with the fans as well. I thought Buff looked like a million bucks here. Again, I, I with Big Vito, with Chavo, with Buff Bagwell, they all look great. Uh you also get some, like, the crowd's really into it. They're chanting Shane's a uh, So the crowd's hot for this match. Um, and you have that, like, start to the match that truly feels electric. Like, you're about to have, like, two, you know, rivals face off. It feels important. It feels like there's a story here. Now, again, mileage may vary with the interference with Tori Wilson. I actually enjoyed it for what it was because that swerve – with a lot of Vince Russo's stuff, it always feels too over the top. I thought this was like right at that precipice of falling off the cliff. So it was at the maximum amount of value you could get out of like that kind of swerve with Tori. Um, I actually genuinely popped when Buff kicked out of the plunge because I was like, okay, here's the match. That's it. And he kicks out. I'm like, okay, cool. Um, the finishing, the finishing move of the jawbreaker, not a move that you see a lot, probably for obvious reasons, probably jacks up the neck real bad. But and also it, it doesn't, and also it doesn't look good. Eh, kind of. But I, I don't know. I, I, I liked it. Uh, you also have Buff selling. Like, I thought both guys sold well. I thought both guys had some good offense. I enjoyed it for what it was. I thought this was fantastic. I could believe both these guys at the top of the card. I will not apologize for liking this match. Forget you, Jake. Forget you. Uh, let's see. What do my notes say? Sucked with two Ks, because apparently I can't spell. And the finish was awful. Yeah, no, I did not. Angelo, how can you look at these guys and be like, I want Shane Douglas at the top of my card? Like, Because no, I enjoyed it. I don't know. What do you want from me? I thought it was fun. <laughs> <laughs> I enjoy. I enjoy, have everything else on this card. Like, is it the best match? No. But uh, the most enjoyment I had watching, the most enjoyment was this match. Eight minutes of pure bliss out of this entire mountain of shit. I got way more enjoyment out of uh, the next segment. So you're, oh, you're like not saying that the next segments. Well, the next segments are something else. 
you're you're like putting me on, right? Like you're fucking with me. <laughs> <laughs> he's working you, David. He's working you. Like you're you're working me, right? No, I'm being hundred uh, percent genuine. Is he working the boys right now? He's working I the think boys. He's being serious. He's working the boys. Wow, that's that's crazy, dude. Yeah, like, this is like <laughs> this is the most like unremarkable, like just kind of piece of crap I've ever seen. It's and two Angela guys. Here, like, give him, give, put him on the top of the card. I love it. It's like two guys who, yes, good looks. I mean, Buff at least did. Shane Douglas was a good talker. Both guys are fine workers, I guess. They go out, they have a okay match, and then you have this weird, overly complicated interference where Tori Wilson's making out with both guys, hitting them both in the nuts, and then it's like, oh, whose side's she on? It's like, what about this? I don't understand why any of this is good. It's not. It's just, like, is it better than the, the graveyard match? Yeah. That could also play a factor. Match? Sure. Is it as good as, like, Canyon and Booker T? Hell no. That could also play a role here. Is that, like, the graveyard match, I would say it was even worse than the wedding gown match. Yes. It might be just because, like... But I, I will still not apologize followed, for liking it. It might be just because this immediately followed the graveyard match and you were so desperate for anything as resembling professional wrestling that this worked for you. But this isn't good by any standard. Uh, I thought it sucked. So next up. Mean Gene Okerlund is backstage with Jeff Jarrett, and he informs Double J that Hogan is in the building. The match is next. Jeff Jarrett, for his part, hints that he has some allies with him. Don't know who they are. But next up, next up is the WCW World Heavyweight Championship match. The match we're building up to. It is Hulk Hogan versus. Jeff Jarrett for the WCW World Heavyweight Championship. I, I am so excited for them to just, you know, really go out there and, and put on a show and, and make each other look good. Jeff Jarrett I, walking out with the belt with Hogan being the challenger is certainly a sight to behold. Let me yeah, tell you. I mean, Hogan, all, you know, Hogan chasing the title, you don't get that a whole lot. You know, Hogan's an older guy, but, you know, always over. Jeff Jarrett. Really underappreciated as a worker. I think they could actually do something pretty good here. And, you know, Michael Buffer's here. I'm excited. I'm ready to go. So Michael Buffer's out here because it is a title match in his WCW. Lends, lends greater gravitas to the moment. Let's get ready to rumble, ladies and gentlemen. It is Jeff Jarrett doing, at, at the time when he was doing his slap nuts gimmick, the, uh, that, the t-shirt I always want. I, I, I really, really want to get a Jeff Jarrett slap nuts t-shirt. The chosen uh, one. Yes. Uh, Hogan comes out. Uh, well, so first off, Jarrett takes forever to come out. And then eventually Vince Russo comes out. Vince Russo's looking a little bit, little bit glum. You know, I don't know what's bothering him. He's wearing a Barry Bonds jersey, holding a baseball bat. And then Jarrett arrives, does his entrance as the champion. And then here comes Hulk Hogan. It's Hogan. He's always going to be over. He's not as over as he was like a few years ago just because the NWO gimmick has run its course. People are sick of it. But it's Hogan. When has he ever not been over? I mean, other than this past WrestleMania because now everyone hates him because he has uh, been exposed as a racist. Uh, that's like the only time he hasn't been over. Um, he's doing the air guitar, all that. You know, Hogan looks great. 
Hogan grabs a mic. He cuts a promo on Jeff Jarrett. He says, yeah, you are the chosen one. I have chosen you to powerbomb through this mat tonight. <laughs> and I, lo- I love that line. I'm ready to go. The bell rings. Jarrett saunters back into the ring. And then he immediately lays down for Hogan. He just lays there, like, just pin him. Vince, Vince Russo is holding the belt. He tosses it into the ring, says, just, just pin Jeff Jarrett. Jeff Jarrett is lying there. And then Hogan grabs the mic and says, that's why this company is in the shape it's in. Because of bullshit like this. And then he puts his foot on Jeff Jarrett's chest. Gets the pin. The one, two, three. Jarrett immediately stands up. Walks off. Hogan is the new WCW champion. Official match time of 1 minute 19 seconds. Again, they do the they do the ring entrances. They do the build up. And then, ding, ring the bell. And Jarrett just lies down and takes it as Hogan. Hey, but, but it's fine, okay? This was this was all planned. It was a work. They they want um they actually want Hulk to go away for like ninety days, and then actually what they're going to do is they're going to have this like big tournament, and at I forget which pay per view, they're going to have like a heel versus heel matchup. But at the start of the matchup, Hogan's going to walk out and make it a triple threat and be like, I'm still the champion or whatever. So it's fine. There's nothing to worry about. Imagine watching this live. And experiencing oh, the absolute roller coaster that was the most electric, like, three minutes of a lot of pay-per-views. Like, the, the commentary team, Shivani is speechless. Absolutely speechless. And we'll get to, there's more to come, but, like, this is just bewildering. Imagine being a fan that you paid a ticket to go watch Hulk Hogan wrestle, and then this is the match you get with Hogan. Yeah, you are promised a title main event. Hulk Hogan challenging for the belt against Jeff Jarrett. And then this is what you get. And then Hogan leaves. He's out there for two minutes. That's it. That sucks. And, Hulk, and Hogan like, says, and Hogan says, this is why the company's in the shitter. So the thing, the product that you went to watch is being openly mocked by the guy you came to see. Yeah. I, I I'm sure that'll you know, continue to put butts in the seats down the lot. Wait, you know, David, honestly, you... we, we lived in a world like, you know, just the year before was the finger poke of doom. So like, you know, that shit like this can happen in WCW now. And like, I feel like once like that door is opened up, why would you even last this long as a WCW fan? Like, why would you still be watching the program at this point? I don't know. Uh, but I mean, that's what I was about to say. Like, did you did you mention the attendance number for this? Six thousand seven hundred and fifty-two. That's TNA shit. It's we, not great. We haven't had the finger poke of doom, but there was like a storyline reason for the finger poke of doom. This was just something else entirely. Like, I I can yeah. I can I can understand the rationale of. Yeah, this is bullshit. Yeah, you're not treating your fans well because your fans paid to see this match. I get that. But I can also kind of understand the swerve. Maybe you don't do the swerve on a pay-per-view that people are paying to see. But I can understand the rationale there. This but is I, just... Like, yeah. You th- again, this is a shoot. This is not... This is actual real life happening. This is not wrestling going on. This is real life. And it's... Man... If they thought the finger poke was a slap in the face, this just 
death now. Yeah. And, and, and just kind of speak into Jake's points. Attendance of Bash at the Beach 1999, 13,624. Wow. Attendance of Bash at the Beach 2000, 6,572. Yeah. Attendance at Bash at the Beach 2001, zero because it did not occur because WCW <laughs> did not exist anymore. So, yeah. Uh, we will revisit this whole uh, brouhaha in a moment. But one other thing that I just freaking hated was they cut to the commentary desk afterwards and the three guys, Shivani Hudson and Mark Madden, are all talking about it's just all insider shit. They're like, oh, they swerved on them. And I can't believe that, uh, you know, they're working the boys. And like, he says something about, uh, well, you know, Hogan has creative control. So, you know, Hogan wanted to win and he got what he wanted. He wanted to win. He wanted to go over. Yeah. Like, dude, you're what the fuck are you doing? <laughs> saying that you've had these production meetings and like the notes like, I can appreciate the transparency once something – like, this shit has hit the fan at this point. You are looking for any way to keep people involved. And we talk about, like, with uh, – XF. one of the things XFL did was they let you in the booth <laughs> when they were doing the reviews and that always felt interesting. But for wrestling, part of the magic of it is the illusionary wall that exists. There are times that it's appropriate to break that wall – but when you break it so belligerently after this event, it's really like, wow, so now I feel really stupid for watching something that's this scripted that is now has these backstage politics going on that, again, creative control being mentioned. It's just all sorts of effed up. Yeah. And really, honestly, I don't know if it's just me, but like. When you when when you hear people talking about like using those insider terms and stuff like oh he swerved him oh you know he wanted to go over like ninety five percent of the time when you say those things you sound like a freaking dork you know <laughs> like you just sound like a nerd like I'm literally talking about like pro wrestling on a podcast and even when I say things like oh he went over I always feel like like a nerd for saying that you know what I mean <laughs> I don't know like maybe that's just me but. Like, it just sounds stupid. It sounds like you're talking an alien language and you're just an idiot. And it just, I, I hate wrestling it. Wrestling is terrible. stupid. Because it forces yeah. you to be self-conscious about what wrestling is. And then once you take think about it and think about, wow, we're getting paid to, you know, commentate this. And then you think of us, the guys that are either paying to watch it or us on a podcast talking about it. You're like, we have a podcast that talks about this event that is entirely scripted and, and fake in that way in a realm that means utterly nothing to real life. And then yeah. you're just like, wow, I'm now, like, why do I still lose to myself? Now, obviously, for us, we still get a great enjoyment out of it. But when you have the commentary team of the thing that you're watching openly discussing this, it kind of hits you like a, a cold cocks you. It just hits you right in the face. And you kind of just want to slink away. Yeah. Like, yeah, it's it's like I know wrestling's fake. You don't need to, like, hit me over the head with it. You know what I mean? Yes. Like, let me just enjoy the wrestling. It's almost like they're insulting your intelligence. Yeah. It is. And it sucks. And we hate it. But, again, we will get back to it because there's more stuff to come. Um, 
Next up, Vampiro has made his way back from the graveyard. And you see him as he walks into the arena. He walks right past uh, Hulk Hogan. Uh, that, uh, that shot of Hulk Hogan that, like on the side where you can see like half his body walking past Vampiro, the last sight of Hulk Hogan that you will ever get in WCW, by the way. Um, and, and the focus is on Vampiro. And Vampiro gets in the ring. He cuts a promo on how uh, the Kiss Demon is dead. He says he promised the world that he would destroy the Demon and Sting, and he, and he has done it. So he previously beat Sting like in a casket match or something. Um, he then starts talking shit about Sting. The crowd starts erupting, and we want Sting chants. And then a bunch of people in robes, all wearing Sting masks, right on cue, they come out carrying a casket when they open the casket you know stings music hits and one of the uh robe wearing sting mask guys who dave Meltzer reports the guy who hits vampira with the bat is future tna star wildcat chris harris oh wow of the america's most wanted tag team with cowboy james storm <laughs> He was That's... the guy in the sting mask, according to Dave Meltzer, which I think is hilarious. And uh, they they take out Vampiro, and then they throw Vampiro in the casket. So, yeah. Yay! But at that point, the Boneyard match is officially... Or the Graveyard match. The Graveyard match, I call it the Boneyard match, the Graveyard match is officially over, because apparently the rules were you had to, like, kill the guy in the graveyard and then come back to the arena... It was like yep. it was like first one back to the arena wins. Yeah, that's when Holmes right egg. Yeah, <laughs> those were the rules, and uh, Vampiro wins. So next up, Vince Russo is back out. So now, I mean, like this this takes the whole Hogan Jarrett thing to a new level right here. So Vince Russo comes back out. He's looking all forlorn as he walks to the ring. He gets on the mic and he cuts a promo that eventually will get him sued. So he says, I'm going to kind of paraphrase here. He says, from day one, I've had to deal with all the bullshit politics. I don't need all this. You know, I came back. I, I was out of WCW for, th- uh, for a while. I came back for the guys who really care about this company. And Hulk Hogan is a goddamn politician who doesn't give a shit about this company. He says, Hulk Hogan wants to play his creative control card and beat Jeff Jarrett. Well, guess what? Hulk Hogan got his wish, and now you will never see that piece of shit again in WCW. He says, he has the belt. The belt doesn't mean anything. You can call it the Hulk Hogan Memorial Belt if you want. We're going to get a new WCW championship belt. As far as I'm concerned, that belt still belongs to Jeff Jarrett. And tonight, he will defend that belt against Booker T. So, and I will have to say, especially because it was apparently completely off the cuff, pretty damn good promo by Vince Russo. They're really working yeah. this angle. Yeah. Look, I mean, I think the cat was out of the bag once you had the commentary team kind of let us know that the cat, uh, cat was out of the bag. Uh, but Russo, man, hell of a promo. And it kind of let me, like, Think about this. I know WCW was already dying. But, like, with this event, because it kind of, like, ushers in, like, this era of you have two guys who are much better workers 
and I would say they're better talkers than Hogan. Hogan has this mystique about him, sure, but this kind of ushered in a new era of like wrestling. Wrestling. This man, in, in my eyes, like this main event was like a new era of wrestling. We're moving away from the guys that are just big and look cool. You have guys that have more depth to character than saying brother every five words and uh, just being jacked up on steroids. Is this salvageable at all? Because like the way Russo cuts this promo, yeah, he gets sued later. The way he cuts this promo and the way like the fans kind of like start cheering the guys, like especially for Booker T. It feels like you could have maybe done something to maybe stave off the inevitable a little bit longer or like get people riled up. I think with ah. the, the commentary team kind of throws it away because they kind of like let you in in the back door. They start going more and more into like these insider terms and what's not in the production meeting and showing us all the notes that they already have. So kind of like that part maybe kills it before it even starts. But like Russo's pr- promo about like k- giving a shit about WCW like that. I don't wait. It was so good. what are you asking? Like, I could could they, could they could they have turned this into a moment instead of being like instead of a death knell? Could they have used this as like a rallying cry? I mean, no, because it was legit. Like, he got sued over it. By like, how are they gonna... and, and I think the fact was, for all intents and purposes, I think the the death warrant was already written for them. Yeah, like they were done. You know. They had four. They had, they had like six thousand people here, like yeah, for no. one of their biggest shows. I, no. I, again, it's just because Russo. It really feels like you could say he's maybe speaking from the heart. I, who knows? Especially with guys in his position and his track record. But I don't know. I just it was just something I thought of, like because it was very emotionally charged. It was very much a, like like David said, it's a heck of a promo. And I, I'm thinking maybe in some alternate universe. This is what ends up rallying WCW, but yeah, I, I, I think no. what David said about this being, it's already been signed, sealed, and delivered that this is dying anyway. Yeah. Nothing can save it. I mean, it's it's um, it's a very good promo on its own. Like, completely just take this promo, put it in a little bottle, and evaluate it without any other context. It's really a good promo. But then, when you realize it's coming after just a laughable, like, disgrace of, of what that Hogan Jarrett was, uh, that's like a complete insult to the fans. And then you, you factor in the context of where WCW was. They were dead already. It was, it was dead man walking. Is this also it's why we tend to remember? Is this also why we tend to remember Jarrett as kind of a forgettable guy who was just never really truly over? Is because oh, I don't remember him as that I at think, all. I think we were. I think we remember him as that because he was a forgettable guy who was never really over. No, I remember <laughs> but, him as the guy that broke a broke a thousand guitar. Uh, how many guitars? A million was? guitars, and he never they never a drew a dime. That's who I remember him as. But yeah, but I mean, I just feel like this also kind of goes into that legend of why. He just never could get over, especially when he gets to WWE, because he's associated with this moment. He will he was never. In WWE, I think it was he already was in there. WWF for years before this. Yeah, was he? He's, yeah, he was yes. in WWF like '93 to like '97 or whatever. He did the, you know, he. We just had he, him. The other that's day. where he started the, you know, the country singer gimmick. That's and, where he did. He did the greatest wrestling song of all time. 
with my baby tonight. I just could have sworn that was with WCW still. With my baby nope. tonight. That song freaking bangs. I love that song, man. <laughs> I legit I think that song kicks ass. I don't even like country music, and I like that song. <laughs> oh man. But yeah, no. I mean, this is this is just a freaking disaster. And I, I so I, I know Jake has listened to some podcasts. I know you yes. Three weeks, so I'm sure you can go into some detail, but just kind of the. The bare bones of what actually happened here, uh, as the story goes, Hogan was booked to lose to Jarrett in the main event of Bash of the Beach 2000. He invoked his creative control. He said, brother, that's not working for me. I'm not, I'm not losing this match to Jeff Jarrett. So uh, they instead decide to come up with this swerve where uh, Jarrett would lie down for Hogan. That first part where Jarrett lies down for Hogan and Hogan cuts the promo about how this is why this company's in the shape it's in is all work. All of that's a work. But then oh. afterwards, yes. That's what I, wait, that, I said, yeah, that, that's what I said earlier as like a joke. No, you thought that was a shit. No, 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 no. Like well, I'm, I talking, knew... I'm talking to Angela. No, I, I thought yeah. that was part of the shoot. Nuh-uh. That part, the first half, was a work and then they were going to do some shit later uh but then i guess russo was just pissed off and fed up of having to to do all this shit and having to constantly jump through these political hoops with hogan that he just decides to go out there and cut this promo and bury hogan and say you know what this guy's not coming back again i'm putting the belt on jeff jarrett and we're going to do jarrett and booker t and uh that was all a shoot. So they then do the match with Booker T and Jarrett later on. Uh, Hogan never again appears in WWE. This was Hogan's last night in World Championship Wrestling. He never appears again on WCW programming. And then later on, he files a lawsuit against Russo for defamation of character. The lawsuit was dismissed uh, in 2003. 2003, damn. And when yeah, you put it in that, that context, the promo definitely is now more of a death knell than ever. Yeah. Jake, I don't know if, if, if the, uh, the the podcast you were listening to add any more uh, color or detail to all that. Um, no, that's pretty much exactly what happened. Um, I Like I, I said earlier, the, the original plan was to have Hogan lose it, go away for a while, come back and... Uh, fight for it at like whatever the next couple months pay-per-view was but he didn't like the idea of losing in the main event to Jarrett um, and so he wanted to find a different way and so he exercised his creative control and Rousseau was not very happy about it yep that's pretty much it yeah but that whole first part again you know that, that caught Angelo off guard finding that out but yeah that was a work I thought it was a shoot that's for that the longest time but yeah Hulk Hogan, WCW, done. It's over. Never again. So we got two more matches. Uh, this match has actually been, they've actually run a couple vignettes for it and a couple things. Uh, one of the more promoted matches on the show we haven't really mentioned yet, it is Kevin Nash taking on Goldberg. Uh, the stipulation of the match is that if Kevin Nash loses... Scott Hall will be fired from WCW, and you literally have Goldberg walking around with Scott Hall's contract. And you can tell it's Scott Hall's contract because it has Scott Hall in it in like 72.5. Um, 
And he's like, you know, threatening to tear it up. And like, man, I wish I could just tear this thing up right now. Uh, so we have Nash versus Goldberg. Nash comes out to the Wolfpack theme, which is uh, an all-time classic. Uh, got Goldberg walking through the freaking fireworks. Awesome. It's holding Scott Hall's contract the whole way down. He slams it onto the announce table. It's just a short little match. Really not a whole lot to it. Goldberg slams him around a little bit, kills him with a thrust kick. Nash comes back with a choke slam for a near fall. Scott Steiner comes out. He grabs the contract. He's cheering on, uh, I guess, his friend, Kevin Nash. Um, he comes back. Uh, Nash hits the sidewalk slam, dodges a spear. He sets up for the jackknife powerbomb, but then Scott Steiner comes in. It's another, it's another swerve. Scott Steiner attacks his buddy, Kevin Nash. Uh, Goldberg hits the spear. Jackhammer, one, two, three. Goldberg wins the match. Five minutes and 27 seconds. Scott Hall, his contract is ripped apart. And the remains are thrown on the lifeless corpse of Kevin Nash. This was your classic Goldberg-Kevin Nash match. Goldberg having a super kick in his arsenal is always something that surprises me because it's not like a power move. And also, I mean, the Steiner angle is, I guess, something to build off of, but mm. this was a fight that was between Goldberg and Kevin Nash, and that's all you really need to know about it. This is not the first match on the show where like, it comes down to someone comes out from backstage to support a guy, and then turns out he's actually going to attack that guy. <laughs> Yeah, Shane Douglas Buff Bagwell did it better. They literally yeah. did this all like it was. They did this all the time because it was like, oh, this is a swerve, bro. They're gonna love it. Who's whose side is he on? Shut yeah. up. <laughs> that, it's always that. But yeah, this is just. I don't know. It's like it's like pretty much nothing to it. Like yeah, you would think that Goldberg, Kevin Ash, two of the big stars of WCW, fans would care. They don't really care. It's not really much going on, and then it's over. And this is a match that honestly was probably promoted more, at least on the card itself, than Hogan. And it doesn't even go yeah. six minutes. Yeah. Like, literally the opening, uh, the, like, the opening video package for the entire pay-per-view is pretty much all about, like, oh my god, is Scott Hall gonna get fired tonight? And he does. So, whatever. It's great. Uh, yeah. Fun stuff. Okay. Love to see it. So... Now we finally get to this main event. Boy, we've had so much shit to talk about. Uh, how about we just have a, a wrestling match for the championship? It is Jeff Jarrett and it's Booker T. We've already seen both these guys. This is technically their second match of the night. Technically, both of these guys lost their first match of the night, but they are now wrestling for the world title. And it is, it's an okay match. Nothing incredibly special. But, you know, we get about you know, 14 minutes of it. Um, pretty slow starting out. Uh, they fight into the crowd. Jarrett hits him with a chair. They make their way back to the ringside area. Jarrett tosses Booker over the announce table. He pile drives Booker onto the announce table, but it doesn't break. He then, like, chugs a water bottle. I thought this was kind of funny. He, like, chugs a water bottle and, like, then tosses it away. And you can actually see the cameraman like stick his hand in front of the camera to keep water from getting on the lens, which I thought was funny. Um, 
get a really, really, really long chin lock spot. Jarrett gets him into the figure four leg lock. Booker reverses it, hits the scissor kick, does a spinneroonie, spine buster for a near fall. He goes for his leaping leg lariat, but crotches himself on the top rope after Jarrett ducks under it. They do a ref bump. Jarrett tries to hit him with the belt. Booker ducks. He hits Jarrett with the belt, but the referee gets over late. He's groggy. He does a slow count, and Jarrett kicks out. Uh, we get Jarrett with a low blow. He tries to set up a chair in the corner, but Booker reverses him and slams Jarrett into it. Uh, Jarrett then just takes out the referee for no reason. He grabs his guitar. I mean, especially because, like, they're letting you hit everyone with weapons all night. I don't see the point of, like, taking out the referee so you can hit him with a guitar. Like, he's not going to disqualify you. He hasn't disqualified anybody. He grabs the guitar. He gets up to the top rope. And he's going to try and do this guitar shot off the top rope. But Booker catches him out of midair. Hits the bookend. A new ref slides in out of nowhere. And he counts the pin. And Booker T wins the WCW World Heavyweight Championship in 13 minutes and 41 seconds. At least they end on kind of a high note. Booker is over. The fans were very happy to see him win. He got a nice pop. And yeah, we like Booker. He wins. But cool. why? All right. But why? I don't, I don't like, know why, but it's better than nothing, right? I mean, sure. But like, I don't know. It's I, just... Yeah, it's better than nothing, sure, fine. I'll give you that. But why did it have to be better than nothing? I think the whole thing was, especially when you get to this point with WCW and also what has happened on this night, you're looking for the best silver lining possible. But why? Just go fucking watch WWF. Well, yeah. Well, no yeah, sh- dude. Okay. WWF in 2000 was awesome. That was like the best year ever. Yeah, right. Yes. However, your WCW. You're not dead yet. Keyword is yet. Um, so you're looking for what is the best move that you think you can do. And I can understand. And the rationale was we have this guy, Booker T, who's a WCW product, who has been in the company for 14 years, has not been near the top of the card uh, at all, but has been a guy that we're kind of working towards that. Let's just push that story here. He, again, 14 years in the business with WCW. Initially starting off as a tag team guy, then working his way as a singles guy, and you're having him have this climactic moment where our cards are down, shits hit the fan, we need someone to go out there for the world title match. Why not make it Booker and then have Booker win as this like ultimate moment? That's kind of that's the story that they wanted to tell. Now it doesn't work because again, death now, but I don't know. I was but you keep saying you keep saying they. Like there's like this board of trustees that's like making these super hard and complicated decisions. No, it was just Vince fucking Russo being like, yeah, man, I don't know. How about just Booker fights him for it? I mean, who would you have had? Okay, scratch out Booker. I wouldn't have been in a position that I needed Booker T to go out on short notice and, and pop the crowd at the end. You know what I mean? That's not an option here. Shit also, isn't the fan. We just watched Booker T lose to Chris Canyon. That's the biggest issue. Two hours ago. Like, okay, it, why have him in that match? <laughs> How about you just, like, wouldn't it be so much better to have Booker T, like, oh, we didn't think he was going to be on the card tonight, but here's Booker T. Oh, big pop. Here's Booker T. We didn't just. But how do you know that, like, this? Canyon. how do you know this shit with Hogan is, is going to happen? You don't. 
So you make the best of the bad situation. You put the guy who is the most over in the match. Angelo, there's no excusing this. There's no excusing this whole show. Like, <laughs> yes, yes. I mean, on its own, putting the belt on Booker T at this time is awesome. probably not a bad idea. We like Booker T. Everyone likes Booker T. He's over. He's cool. But, I mean, everything else around it is so just miserably stupid that there's no excusing any of it. There's no excusing. This pay-per-view. There's no excusing the result because of the process. This pay-per-view is all about the folly of man and what flawed creatures we are. Just let it. Honestly, I would buy it if that was true. Honestly, like if that was true, Angelo, I would like this so much more. If it was like an analogy for like Paradise Lost or some shit, I would enjoy it so much more. Yeah. (laughs) This is, wait, we're going to read Paradise Lost in class next year. And this is what I'm going to share them. <laughs> like, this is what John Milton was writing about. <laughs> lost. It's this. It's this. Yes, show him this whole thing. I would that's, talk. That's I would talk about the match, but there's nothing more else to say. I mean, Imagine, it was fine, I, but I, it was a good match. It was a good Jeff Jarrett match. This honestly, was, yeah, it was. It was great. This was a good match for Booker. It was a good match for Jarrett. This is all about the folly of man. Life has no meaning. The world is going to end anyway. We're all going to die. And, uh, yeah. And, Angelo, the world is ending. And what does that mean? Where well, should you eat? To eat the roll? No. no he's, eat doing Arby's. A, he's doing a nihilist Arby's joke, Angelo. Come on. <laughs> Darn it. I missed it. That's my eat favorite Arby's. stuff. Eat Arby's. I know. That's why I thought you would get it. <laughs> Dude, I can't stop thinking about this being like Paradise Lost. Dude, like, isn't it like isn't that like almost the one, legit? Like, I, like like the one part where like um like he spells out Satan like the first line of every <laughs> That's Vince Russo. He's like talking about Vince Russo in that match. That's <laughs> like the skillful steersman is Vince Russo. <laughs> yeah. Oh, that is perfect. That's what this is about. But <laughs> WCW yeah. died so hard when I even talking about it with the main event spot. Nah, no, let's I mean, get to the marks. Yeah, let's get to the marks. Shit, man, we waited like a month and a half to do some freaking marks, brother. Let's start it out, Angelo. All right, I'm switching it up. Uh, my half mark is going to the commentary crew because at the very least, they were crap the first half. The second half with all the drama going on, even though like they're kind of breaking that fourth wall, it's entertaining. At the very least, I'm entertained. You can't. Nobody else can see the looks that we're giving Angelo. But we're staring through him right now. It happens. Not the first time. I, again, Buff Bagwell, Shane Douglas. Uh, so, half mark to the commentary team. My negative ha- my negative mark is going to Hulk and Russo's maturity levels. Because, good God, like, you're having all this drama backstage. And maybe this is more so on Russo than Hulk at this time. Because, you know, Hulk... And well, Hulk is the one that flexes his creative control because he's not going to let Jarrett go over here. So he's, he, he's involved in this too. But just like you have all this drama and then you're playing this drama out in front of everybody and it's not a work. It's a shoot. And it's just, again, why, what Hogan said best. This is why no one gives a shit about this company anymore, more or less. So negative mark there. Two marks going to Booker T. Put in 25 minutes of work. Both solid matches, probably two of the better Booker T matches we've had. And he's the one guy who consistently gets cheers from the crowd and a reaction from the crowd. So he gets the two marks for this very cursed, very cursed pay-per-view. Okay. Uh, all right. I'm going to follow up. I'm going to give negative half mark 
to Mike Awesome facial expressions. Uh, facial expressions suck, just in general. I cannot stand whenever guys do the surprise face after a guy kicks out of their finisher. I absolutely hate it. And I think Mike Awesome might have had the worst one I've ever seen. Like, he literally <laughs> looked like he was, like, dying of suffocation the way that his mouth was opened up. It was... His jaw looked unhinged like a snake's. It was ridiculous. I don't know what he was doing. Negative half mark to that. I'm giving one mark to the Russo promo because whatever it was, it got him sued, whatever. That was the best promo on WCW TV in at least three years. At least. Since this, since Bash of the Beach 98, I'm going to say that was the best promo, or 97. I'll say it's probably the best promo on WCW. I mean... It was heartfelt. It was passionate. I was invested in it. I think 99% of promos suck. The 1% are this promo and the pipe bomb by, from CM Punk. That's it. Those are the two good promos ever. Um, so one positive mark to that. And I'm giving negative two marks to WCW's production value in 2000. Guys, it was terrible. Mm. Like, oh, really bad. Just, just, just in general, like the camera shots just aren't crisp. They're like, everything looks the exact same. Like, WWE has this problem now, but, like, at least since it's on Fox, they've gotten, like, that, that whatever, 800K camera or whatever that they're running now. That's kind of cool whenever guys are walking in. They can mix it up a little. You had uh, Lil Nate holding a freaking flashlight. Like, come <laughs> on. The commentators sounded bad, and not in, like, what they were saying. Like, their audio just sounded rough. Did you guys notice it? Like, yeah, yeah. It just it just sounded like they were talking into my mic, like my headset right now, instead of like you know multi million dollar companies audio equipment. It was terrible. So all around terrible show, but at least that Russo promo was good. Yes. So I'm gonna finish it out here. My negative half mark. So a little bit of context to this. I, it, my negative half mark is uh, for the wedding gown match, but. So what are two things that you think are pretty much always reliably going to get, like, a big baby face reaction? Probably, um, you know, Stacey Keebler taking off her clothes, one. But number two, something that always gets a reaction, whenever you see it in wrestling, a food fight. When have the fans ever not gotten excited for a food fight? This hmm. time. This is the only time ever. This match was so bad that the fans not only didn't care about Stacey Keebler taking off her clothes, they didn't care about a food fight. And that is the biggest indictment ever of that match. <laughs> uh, negative one mark, we already went into this, but I, I wrote it down. Announcers using insider terms on the broadcast. Bad. Like, just way to hit me over the head with the fact that the shit I'm watching is fake and I'm an idiot for watching it. Thank <laughs> you. Uh, and negative two marks, every cinematic match ever before 2017. Because, <laughs> <laughs> I mean, it's not just this I mean, I really got to thinking about how many that WCW did I mean, never really saw WWF do it that much But between this The you know my favorite one, right? The Road Wild match yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> They were all Like, all of them Uniquely terrible ideas Executed uniquely terribly And I, I mean, they just Always horrible. It was horrible. I mean, and it's it's brought into such stark contrast because of we see that, like, they've become a thing the last few years, especially since the pandemic. 
like the Hardys were always great. The ones in AEW have been great. Even the ones in WWE have generally been very, very entertaining. And then you go back and you watch this shit, and it's like, what are they doing? This is like, this is like, uh, like some like really stupid guy trying to get into film school, like his uh, his submission for his application. Something that me and Jake would act in back in freshman year. Yes, this looks like. This oh, has God. lower production values than your uh, submittal for the WVU Film Festival. Oof, this has cursed. lower production values than that did. David, I think you set, set the record of first time we've had a full slate of negative marks. Yes. I I don't know. I think I've done it before. I, I, I always try to get one positive in, so... Couldn't do it. Couldn't do it. So, that'll wrap up our coverage this week of Bash at the Beach 2000. So, before we go... Let's get our last order of business in. Let's welcome back our friend, the Randomizer, and see what we're going to be watching next week on the Two and a Half Marks podcast, boys, while I pull this up. What are you looking for? I've been, harping, right. I've been harping on it. I need I need pandemic pay-per-views. I need that PPPV. Uh, I don't even know. I, I'm, good for, I'm good with anything. I just want to watch something. Well, buddy, you sure will. Next week, we are going to be watching. We're actually going... Staying around the same era, but we are hopping over to the WWF side of the Monday Night Wars. We are watching really one of the last pay-per-views of the quote-unquote Monday Night Wars in the Attitude Era. WWF No Way Out 2001. I think this might have been the last pay-per-view before uh, WWF purchased WCW. Um it is a main event of The Rock versus Kurt Angle for the WWF title. Ooh. You also get Triple H, Stone Cold Steve Austin, three stages of hell match. So, okay. should be pretty good. I think it looks like a pretty good card. And, and thinking back to this era of WWF, it was pretty much, you know, all hits. So, should be some good stuff. Did this start um, the uh, Invasion Angle, or was that not till the next pay-per-view? No, that was not until after WrestleMania. Okay. Because uh, they did WrestleMania 17 with Rock Austin. That's kind of commonly called the end of the Attitude Era. And then afterwards you get the Invasion Angle. So this is still like the, like, again, this is like considered one of the last pay-per-views of the quote-unquote Attitude Era. So next week, No Way Out 2001 should be a fun show. And that'll finish up this episode of the Two and a Half Marks podcast. So for my friends Jake Long and Angelo Anglisa, my name is David Stappen. Thanks, everybody, for listening.